This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. A good relationship is communication. So use that motto with the restaurant, just communicate. Like if you tell the server or the restaurant even in advance that you have dietary restrictions or that you're going to be late or you're going to cancel, just open communication is just respectful and you'll get that reciprocated. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to discuss your immunity heading into fall. Then we're also going to get the insider scoop on restaurant etiquette do's and don'ts. We're also going to learn how changing your lifestyle can help prevent dementia. And lastly, we're going to talk about acupuncture for pain relief. But first, a little bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by Omega Alpha. Omega Alpha is 100% Canadian-owned and has been GMP-certified for manufacturing to pharmaceutical standards since its inception in 1992. It uses only all-natural herbs, vitamins, and minerals in their formulations. The company is site-licensed for manufacturing nutraceuticals by the Natural Health Products Directorate, a division of Health Canada. They have four company divisions, both a consumer line and professional line of human products, equine pet health products, and a custom manufacturing private label division. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit their website at omegaalphainc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team, headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me on again. Well, you know, this is uh, an important topic as we head into fall because, you know, this is the time of year when people start getting the sniffles and the flus and the colds and everything like that. But you're here today to talk about some things that we might be able to do about it, right? Right. I just want to talk a little bit today about the immune system. Okay. All right. It's interesting about the immune system. You know, everybody realizes the importance of the immune system. But if you have a look into the big drug world, there's really nothing out there that really talks about affecting the immune system, making it stronger or anything like that. You mean like traditional drugs, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting that we call it traditional drugs. I know. It's only been around for less than 100 years, what we call traditional drugs. The herbal products, the herbal industry has been around a lot longer than that. True enough. Right? Yeah. So what should we call it? Not traditional, I guess, big pharma, right? Well, pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical sciences. But the thing about the immune system, what I I like to point out is that people don't realize how important it is. The immune system helps keep us young, right? Because 
one of the things that the immune system, if the immune system is primed and working well, all those little itty bitty cancer cells that are floating around yep. before they get a chance to be a big cancer mass, they get chewed up by the immune system. So right? that you're talking about free radicals there, right? No, 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 no. Oh no, uh, cancer cells. Oh wow. Okay. Before cancer happens, right? You have a lot of little cancer cells that are floating around. These cancer cells can be formed by viruses. There's so many different ways of getting little cancer cells. But what happens if the immune system is functioning well? It chews up the cancer cells before it becomes cancer. How does it do that? How does the immune system work? I mean, obviously not all the details. Yeah. We don't have time for that. But, <laughs> but thumbnail sketch, how does it happen? Basically, the immune system comprises of white blood cells, the inflammatory system, there's something called a complement system, right? Mm-hmm. And all these little things, uh, the immune system is like a watchdog, right? So when you have a virus come in and a cell is infected with a virus, the immune system is able to spot it, and then it basically, the white cells just go nuts, jump it, and kill it off, right? Yeah. And so if it's a viral infection and the cells are infected, it kills it. Then we have passive immunity. So, for example, if you have a cold or flu, right, what stops the colds and the flu viruses from getting in? You have that mucus layer. That mucus layer inhibits a lot of colds and flu viruses from getting in. But every so often, because you're under stress or under whatever you, right, these viruses are able to penetrate. And then once you get into the system, it multiplies like crazy. Then you come down with cold and a flu. I don't want to make it sound as if the immune system, you just do one thing and voila, you're good to go. The immune system is part of the entire body. So for example, if you're not stressed out and you're rested and relaxed, right, your immune system tends to function better, right? right? So something as simple as getting a good night's sleep on a regular basis. So, right, no, and we get sick when we feel the quote-unquote right. run down, run right? Run down you, and stressed, right? Yeah. But fortunately, there's a whole bunch of different things that you can take to boost your immune system. What are some of those things that you can take? There are things like everybody knows about like echinacea, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There's things like the ashwagandha, the Siberian ginseng, aka Elisorococcus entercosis. There's the mushrooms like reishi mushroom, right? There's a whole bunch of different herbals that you can take to boost your immune system. Now, when we say boost your immune system, what do we mean? Yeah, I was going to ask. All right. Yeah. Because a lot of time when you say boost immune system, what you're basically doing, you're priming the white blood cells. That's one aspect of boosting immune system, right? Okay. What, what that means is that you make the white blood cells extra vigilant. There's some cells called natural killer cells. They are a division of the white blood cells, right? Yep. I, I don't want to make it sound as all white blood cells are the same. They're not. There's several divisions of them, right? Okay. If you make these natural killer cells more sensitive, that's basically it reacts faster to a lot of viruses, and it reacts faster to cells that are cancer cells, etc., and it just jumps on it and destroys it for want of a better way of saying it, right? Then it also will boost the ability of these natural killer cells to move and activate, right? Okay. The immune system also will increase the ability of the other types of white blood cells to form antibodies. Right, and the antibodies are sort of like the rear guard, and they, they fight off the infection once it's there. Once it happens, right? But yeah. what people have to realize about things like antibodies is that if you boost the immune system when there's only, and I'll use this as an example, okay? Sure. If you have a cold coming on, at the beginning of the cold, let's say you have a hundred viral particles floating around attached to cells, right? You only have a hundred, so if the immune system is prompt and it sees a hundred, no problem, it can subdue a hundred cells that have the viral particles, 
not a problem. However, sometimes you have a full-blown cold. Well, instead of 100, you have probably have millions of these viral particles floating around attached to cells. Okay. So next thing you know, even if the immune system gets into action then, you don't see the magic results because you know what? You, it's trying to fight off a million particles instead of just 100. It's just right? getting overwhelmed. So it's not gonna, you won't be able to fight it off that way. You've got that illness, right? Yeah, but it's, it's still good because it's a way of the body fighting off the illness also. Right. Okay. Right? So it's better than not having any <laughs> immune system. Something's always better than nothing. That's right. So the reason I point that out is that back in the day, probably about 10, 15 years ago, everybody loved echinacea as the second coming, right? And yeah. they would say that teachers I knew back to school, a lot of kids would come in and the poor teachers, every, every disease known to man that they pick <laughs> up from the kids, right. they will get. Yeah. I knew a lot of teachers would take echinacea to try and boost the immune system to help ward off the colds or whatever it is they pick up from the kids, right? Right, yeah. Parents used to give their kids echinacea also to help because once they're in school, they're picking up viruses from their friends, etc., vice versa. So again, it helps ward off some of those things. And I use the word helps ward off because I don't want anybody to think, well, because I take echinacea or because I take something with reishi mushroom or with ashwagandha, etc., that I'll never ever get a cold right right? that's not the way it works yeah it all boils down to how much cold cold viruses are coming down at you at any given time i'm making it very um simplistic way of looking at it right but it's a concept that i'm I'm trying to to get across to to folks out there right no it's it's part what you're saying is it's part of your overall health and 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 boosting your immunity can't be a bad thing it's only going to help boosting your immunity doesn't mean you're not going to catch a cold that's right but what it does mean if you boost immunity your colds are not as bad right right you may not like and i have to separate between colds and flus right yep because colds is something that very common is floating around but it doesn't seem to be affect you as much as a flu virus right right now i am an advocate for vaccinations for the flu vaccine which makes you unique in the natural health and wellness field well let let me explain why i'm an advocate right i know everybody goes around saying you know what if i take the flu vaccine they did a terrible job this year yeah they didn't isolate they didn't identify the right thing blah 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 right my two cents on it is that okay it's like buying a lottery ticket i know when i buy a lottery ticket i probably won't win but it doesn't stop me from buying a lottery ticket because i just might be the one guy who wins a lottery right yeah it's the same thing with the flu vaccine i take the flu vaccine it may not have the right strain but for whatever reason let's say this year they did an exceptional job and it was the right strain well you know what bob's the uncle i can flow through this year with no problem the downside of taking the vaccine the downside of taking the vaccine back in the day when i had to pay for it the downside was i have no money in my pocket right i'll be my pocket is a few dollars lighter but today all right if you're in ontario I I can't speak for the rest of the provinces, but I know in Ontario, the government pays for the flu vaccine. So at the end of the day, it costs me nothing directly out of my pocket. Indirectly, my taxes are higher because of it. But, you know, that's part and parcel of life, okay? You've got to pay your taxes whether you like it or not, right? True. My only objection to the vaccines, and and, Mm -hmm. and really, it's more of an inconvenience. It's a pain in the ass to go get it. Not only that, but, you know, sometimes when you get it, you know, you are putting the viruses into your system. Ah. You know, sometimes you might get a reaction that it's never as bad as a full-blown flu, but you can feel a little logy for for a day or two. You see, the vaccines that they use today are usually not attenuated viruses. They're usually dead viral particles. I understand that. 
And yes, you may get a, a reaction because the arm hurts or something like this. But the way I look at it is this. If I do a thousand people taking the vaccines, right? Yeah. 999 probably have no problem. Or you can say 900 would have no problem. 100 would have an achy arm or, or, yeah, exactly. or something like that, right? Yep. In my world, I hate to say this, 900 trumps 100 any day. For sure. Right? If you happen to be one in 100, in my words, I always say to everybody, it just sucks to be you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no. I, I, but I know a lot of people say, if I'm one of the 100, people say, hey, I got this thing with this. Because I got it, they shouldn't vaccinate anybody. No, that's I mean, That's just plain stupid. It's, okay? I'm going to give you a poker analogy. If, if nine times out of 10, you're going to win your hand, you're going to play that hand, yeah, definitely. right? Definitely. The one time you lose, you may lose big. Right. <laughs> but in all fairness, most of these vaccines are, are relatively, the side effects, if any, are, are small to none. Right? right. And I know there's a lot of people going out there say, oh, well, I'll get autism. I'll say, well, you know, what, dude, by the time you hit 50 or 45 or 30 or 20, that autism ship has sailed. Yeah, right? I would think. It is not going to happen to you. No, I agree. Right? And this is just looking at it from the other side. I mean, it's more of a pain in the behind to get it, in all fairness, because yeah. you have to take time out of your day to yeah. go get it. But I mean, that's an aside here. So as far as vaccination is concerned, I am a proponent just because the downside is not as bad as getting the flu. Now, some people will say, I never get the flu. Well, I say, well, God smiled on you. You never got the flu. Great. But I, I also know that for every one of those that says I never get it, there's probably five people who say, you know, I'm getting it. Some old people will get it, right? Yep. So those are some of the things, right? And that's a way of boosting the immune system, too, because the, the vaccination itself also boosts what I call the regular immune system, meaning that the non-specific immune system, right? Vaccinations, what they do, they do two things. They prime the body to produce certain antibodies to a very specific virus. Correct. Okay? But one of the things it also does, it also is a way of boosting the immune system non-specifically. So it makes your natural killer cells a little bit more active, right? Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just specific to the viruses that they identify as having higher risk of spreading in that particular Yeah, year. that's the main action, but sure. it also does do that. But in all fairness, if somebody says to me, which one works better, a good dose of echinacea or a good dose of any of the immune boosting herbs, right? Yeah. Compared to the vaccinations, I don't know. Nobody has done that study per se. But you maybe maybe right. you got to get on that horse, Gordon. Maybe that's something you need to look into. Yeah, but research is expensive, dude. I hear you. <laughs> that's well, you know, the you, reason. One thing I found, before I published the magazine, I lived a different sort of, I lived an unhealthier lifestyle. I find now just regular exercise, regular sleep, and eating clean will short. You know, I'm still. You're still going to get your flus. You're still going to get your colds. But my reaction time in getting better is like I get fewer of them, and they're much shorter now that I'm living a healthier lifestyle. That's true. But one of the things that you you mentioned is getting regular exercise. Do you know that people who are doing heavy training, like athletes and yeah. so on, right? If you're preparing for a, a meet or something like that, and you're training, you actually dampen your immune system because of that extra heavy training. So again, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, so one of the things I would advise all those people who are in training, the athletes and so on, yep. right, or even people training for a triathlon, anything where you do heavy duty training, yep. it's a good thing to boost the immune system. Right? So, is there something specific that those athletes should be doing, or is it just more of, of what you were recommending before in terms of? I would like to recommend. A herbal immune boosters and the reason I like to do that is because
because, you know, there's a lot of ample studies that show that some of these herbs actually increase your, red, your white cell activity, the natural killer cell activity. It increases the ability of these cells to produce antibodies, etc. And that's been well documented. So I'm not blowing, you know, sure. I'm not just saying so. Okay, if ever going to the medical, not the medical literature, but the scientific literature, right? There's a lot of studies and experiments to show that that it actually happened, right? When you're talking about athletes, just to circle back for one second, like you know, I work out five or six times a week, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like an hour, and you know, sometimes it's strength training or CrossFit or something like that. Do you think I should be taking those types of remedies? It doesn't hurt by taking it, and because even regular Joe, if you're just sitting down and doing nothing, yeah. right, you need to boost your immune system. Because one of the things about boosting your immune system that people don't realize, things like cancer, right? Yeah. If your system is primed, you can help delaying the incidence of things like cancer, right? And this is just one disease that I can talk about because there's information about it, right? Yeah. So boosting immune system is not going to hurt you, even if you're not doing anything at all. It doesn't hurt you to, to boost your immune system. Well, that's fantastic advice. That's all the time we have today, but you're going to come back next month, right? Definitely. Fantastic. As long as you'll have me on board, I'm there. Well, we'll always have you, Gordon. <laughs> We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Vito Marinuzzi, was born and raised in Toronto's East End and came up in the restaurant industry the old-fashioned way, through nepotism. His cousin, restaurateur Gino Rana, hired him as a 15-year-old dishwasher and busser and later gave him a shot as a waiter. Vito's job was as much to fight the prevailing whitewashed version of Italian food in Toronto as it was to get people to try the good stuff, and he did. Now, as a co-owner with his famous mom of two locations of seven numbers on the Danforth and Eglinton West, Vito knows the food his kitchens prepare not only preserve that culinary heritage, but innovate within it. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. So, people used to go out for dinner and a show, 
But things have become so expensive that dinner has become the show in and of itself. People are going out for dinner for their whole evening. If we're doing that, I think we should be looking to maximize our experience. And I thought, you know, as a restaurant insider, our resident tonic insider, (laughs) your insights could really help our listeners today maximize their restaurant experience. I'm going to go back to the first thing you said. The restaurant is now the show. Yeah. So I would say that that's what it used to be. Yeah. And it wasn't. And now I think you're right. It is. And we always tell our staff, like, this is the show. Like, our lights are terrible. We hang theater lights. But I always thought, like, we're a stage production. For sure. There's there's the back of the house. There's the front of the house. There's these actors that go out and, and make people happy. Yeah. Uh, so it is a show. And you're right. It is expensive. And the show is now the restaurant. But with the insider info, I think that the public maybe overthinks it. Where you say, like, it's like this romantic, like, if I do all these things, I'm going to be cool or the insider. I mean, I'm not even talking about being cool though, right? Like I, I, I'm just talking about being civil, being aware of your space in the restaurant, enjoying yourself, but being mindful of sort of like what it takes to, to get a meal out. Right. And by the same token, you know, what are reasonable expectations of a restaurant? You know, <laughs> a good relationship is communication. Right. So use that motto, like with the restaurant, just communicate. Like if you tell the server or or the restaurant even in advance that you have dietary restrictions or that you're going to be late or you're going to cancel, just open communication is just respectful. Then you'll get that reciprocated. 50% of the public doesn't do any of that. Right. Halfway through the meal, somebody will say, oh, I'm deathly allergic to X. And you're like, man, that would have been great information an hour ago. Sure. And, you know, well, starting at the very beginning, right? Like you take reservations at your restaurants, right? Right. What are your expectations? When somebody makes a reservation, how late can they call you to change it or cancel it without it really sort of messing you up? I'm appreciative of any phone call, like even five minutes before an email or a phone call being like, we're late or there's only five of us, not six of us. Right. Any information is helpful. I mean, you know, like each chair has a dollar value. Right. And the dollar value is much tighter these days. So we even limit reservations now and we just leave. Like the walk-ins are easy to manage. They walk in, they sit down, and you play Tetris essentially with the dining room. So, (laughs) and if you're good at Tetris, you can get more people in the dining room. Right. So, and then the reservations, I mean, the worst is the no-show. Right. Still happens. Not as prevalent as it used to be. What about the really late person? So if I made a reservation for 8 o'clock... How long are you going to hold that table for me if, if you don't haven't heard from me? If it's a really crazy night, I probably 15 minutes. Really? Yeah. Like we used to do this. That's a lie. I would probably, I'd probably go 25. Okay. Like if I was at work, maybe a waiter wouldn't, but if I was at work, I, I just feel terrible. Like if you walk in and you're late and you're stuck in traffic. Right. Uh, you know. Things happen, Things right? happen. What are you going to do? Google the phone number, call. Like it's not that easy to do all that. Right. It is if someone's in the car with you. It's not if you're alone or on the subway. Okay. Do you charge for cancellations if somebody no, gives you... No, I, I have a hard time with that. We had a big discussion about that once when the no-show policy was like a year ago. It was like a hot topic. Right. I mean, if you ask a lawyer, they say you have to have the person enter into a contract on the phone. So you have to record the conversation. Right. And then you can have them agree and charge them. And I thought, right. okay, that's crazy. Yeah, lawyers. But I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not in the business of charging you for not eating at the restaurant. Right. Uh, will I be angry? Will it affect my bottom line? Yes, yes, yes. But that's, you know, I, I take it. Like, that's just part, part of the business. Parcel. That's yeah. part, of, part of what goes on. Okay, so let's say, for example, I've made a reservation at your restaurant, and I show up in time for my reservation, 8 o'clock. How long is it reasonable for me to wait for that table if I have a reservation and it's not ready? Yeah. 
you know, I'd like to say zero minutes. Right. But that's not real. We're taking we're taking an educated guess when when we book tables. Like right. now we become like especially around the holiday, you'd be hard and fast about it. I'll tell you on the phone. I've got a table coming at nine. I can book you in at six thirty, just so you know the parameters. Right. So will you say to somebody you can have that table for an hour and a half, for example? Or I I, I don't like saying that. I, I generally tell them there's somebody coming in at nine. Right. So why don't you come at six thirty? So you've got a full two and a half hours. I feel terrible saying you've only got an hour and a half. Right. Then the onus is on me also to get you fed in an hour and a half, which is sometimes unreasonable. Okay, so sometimes my parents were famous for this. We'd go to a restaurant, and no matter what table they were shown, that table wasn't good. That's and and they still needed in end- full practice today. Do people still do that? Hundred percent. So what's reasonable when you come to a restaurant and you're shown a table, and maybe it's too close to the kitchen, or maybe it's near a draft, or you're near a loud table? What do you do? It's all based on how busy we are. If it's Saturday night at eight o'clock and you've got a lineup, then no one's going to say anything about that table. Okay. You know, if there's an empty room, how could I possibly care where I seat you? Like, take whatever you like. Okay, now let's get to ordering. So when I go to a restaurant and I'm not familiar with the menu, if it's the first time, mm-hmm. I've got some key questions that I ask, right? And and I hate when I'm with somebody and they say, what's good? You, you know, like, yeah, you know, the, the waiters, what are they going to say? Yeah. My go-to question is, what's the showstopper? Because a lot of restaurants have two or three items on their menu, yeah. which are their specialty. Their signature and, items or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Like we have our five signature items. Right. Every All the waiters would tell you that, oh, you know, the, these five dishes have been on the menu for 15 years and they're our best sellers. Right. And, and conversely, I do this thing and I, I think it's really helpful. It's to gauge how truthful the, the waiters or waitress is being. And that is, I'll say, is there anything perhaps that I, I should stay away from? Or is there something that you're, you're not fond of? And, you know, if they say, oh, it's all good, then I, I can't listen to them anymore, right? Right. So you're gauging like how much the server is going to give you, right? which is what I think what we all do. I did that recently. I just said, have I not ordered something that I should have ordered? Right. And the server said, you know, actually, you should have that. And so that was good. Right. You, know? you can gauge if the server is in or, in or out of the conversation. You go to a lot of restaurants, I know, because you you, you, yeah. you like to see what's out there. Is there an art to reading a menu? Is there a way to look at a menu and sort of say to yourself, this is what I think I should order? Or reading between the lines, you know, should you get the special, et cetera? Maybe, maybe a little bit, not so much. I mean, I tend to cost the item out as I'm reading it. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's a ripoff. That's not so good. That, right, right. The restaurant loves that item. Well, are there items that like the average diner doesn't appreciate, you know, where the margins are and, you know, like, is there a reasonableness factor there? Margins are generally bad on a large piece of meat. Right. Beef's expensive. Right. But they'll dress up something that is a lesser, a lesser cut, cut or yeah. a fish you've never heard of or a, a vegetable dish. They'll dress it up a lot so that right. it sounds attractive. And sure, the margins are better on that item. But I mean, reading between the lines, not much anymore. You know, a lot of restaurants now are doing smaller plates, tapas style, and it's a different kind of dining. Mm-hmm. You know, where it used to be you go to a restaurant, you'd order an appetizer, a main, perhaps a dessert, and you eat your own plate. But there's a lot of sharing that's going on right now. A good server will tell you how the, the meal is supposed to unfold and how much you're supposed to order, right? Right. As long as they haven't been worn down too much. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's we, we ordered three dishes the other night, and the server said, you know, there's five of you. I recommend at least having one more. And I appreciate that, because I don't know. Right. I've never been there. I don't know the size of the item. So, yeah, I mean. We went to a restaurant the other night and we did the question, do we have enough food? Right. And, you know, the waiter said, yeah, you do. But that's hard because if he's just in for the sales, he's going to say no. Well, you know, then we proceeded to order more. And of course, we had way too much food. He was being honest and we should have listened to him. Right. And and then we had too much. So So he was honest. He was. Perfect. Well, that's what you want. I'll go back there. If I had him as a server again, I would listen to him. What about those people that want to sort of alter the dishes? How do you feel about that as a restaurateur? Like you've designed a dish. It's being yep. made. There's a fine line. Like if you, you know, there's that, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, but right. you don't want to be, 
you know, terrible about it if someone has some restriction or they want to adjust something. There's the person who just wants to change the linguine for the penne. No, we're like, we're not like, have the penne. Well, why, what's the difference? It's pasta. But if it's somebody who says, I want that dish, but I can't have the shrimp for whatever reason. No, I'm not, I'm not talking necessarily about anaphylaxis no, or, no. or, you know, somebody who's somebody creating your own dish in a restaurant. Well, you know, some, chefs take a lot of pride in, in yep. designing a dish and there's certain flavor, mm-hmm. you know, profiles Profile, that yeah. go together. And somebody, some Philistine could come in and, and basically ruin the dish and, you know, in essence, ruin the experience for themselves, for themselves yep. by not ordering correctly. Or am I overthinking it? You don't see that much in, I don't know what to call them, like a mid-level restaurant. Right. I have a friend who's a waiter at one of the big steakhouses, and he's a yes man. Yeah. Like, legitimately, he says, I have a customer who comes in, and they want linguine with tomato sauce on the side of their steak, and we just do it. (laughs) Like, he's just, that's what they do. They're they're handling high-powered VIPs, maybe, and just catering to them. Okay. We don't. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So we only have time for like one little mini set of questions. And that's sort of etiquette when you're in a restaurant. I'm talking about bad behavior. And mm-hmm. to my mind, I hate it when people are noisy or it's a busy restaurant. You can see somebody who's lingering, you know, they, yep. they've finished and they're just kind of screwing around at the table. Is there anything that drives you to distraction as an owner that sort of crosses the line for people? Just like when people talk down to you when they're rude, you know, instead of addressing me like I address you, they address me differently, me or a server differently. And just a, a mutual respect almost. But they're above you because you're they want their table right and you look at them you're like really this is just about a table is that really an issue yeah i I don't know how to become very entitled yeah in the moment (laughs) and then they probably get home and go nah i was stupid (laughs) yeah but they'll think better on right and 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 now you've told them so they'll think about it for next time. hopefully fantastic thank you for coming in today we're going to have you back next month right yep absolutely awesome we've got to take a short break but when we return we're going to discuss how changing your lifestyle can help prevent dementia on the tonic Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Nicole Anderson is a senior scientist at the Rotman Research Institute at Baycrest and an associate professor of psychiatry and psychology at the University of Toronto. She obtained her undergraduate degree in psychology from Washington University in St. Louis and her master's and PhD from the University of Toronto. She's also a registered clinical neuropsychologist. Her research focuses on memory and attention interventions for healthy older adults, older adults with mild cognitive impairment, and adults with acquired brain injuries. Welcome to The Tonic. Happy to be here. 
So we're here today because you're working on some exciting research into how lifestyle changes can help ward off dementia, right? That's right. So I, I guess, you know, most people understand what the meaning of the word is, but maybe a good place to start would be, what is dementia? Yeah, it's a good question. In fact, I'd say a lot of people don't understand the meaning of the word. They often ask, what is the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's disease? Right. So dementia is the significant changes to our cognitive abilities that impact our ability to function in everyday life. And it can be due to a number of different kinds of diseases. And among them, far and away, the most common cause of dementia is Alzheimer's disease. Right. So Alzheimer's creates dementia, but not all dementia is Alzheimer's. Exactly. Exactly. You can have dementia due to other conditions. And, and typically speaking, if somebody is suffering from dementia, what sort of manifestations would there be? Most typically, there's problems with memory, significant problems with memory. And I think it's also important to differentiate normal memory slips from not so normal memory slips. Right. Because we all experience them and some people freak out when they lose their keys or get stuck on somebody's names. But that's a sign of normal, healthy aging and nothing to worry about. With dementia, we're talking about more significant changes with memory and other cognitive abilities. So not just uh, losing your keys, but finding them in the fridge or looking at the keys in your hand and not knowing what they're for. So it's losing memory, language, visual, spatial abilities. All cognitive functions tend to be affected by dementia. Okay, now let, let's move on to the study that you're working mm -hmm. on. So what's the theory behind the research for this study? Maybe we should start there. Right, right. So currently, there are no treatments for dementia. Hmm. So pharmacological trials have had more than 99% failure rate. Oh my gosh which is very scary. Uh, we're still working on it, and there are some promising drugs in the pipeline, but what the field is moving towards is more about preventing dementia in the first place. Is that even possible? You can reduce your risk significantly through lifestyle changes, and that, that's the motivation for my research. The idea is that a healthy lifestyle increases what we call cognitive reserve. Every time we do something healthy, we're building new synapses, which are the connections between neurons that create a real rich neural network and allow our brains to function better. Uh, so it's all built on neuroplasticity or the fact that we can change our brain by the activities that we do. So the environment, and you know, it's it, you're starting, at, you know, you, you have a brain and it's either a really good brain or a not so good brain, right. but we can actually manipulate the brain into performing better. Is that right. what you're saying? Right. To be a healthier brain that, that functions better. Um, and some of these kinds of activities that we can do are probably number one is education. Okay. Which is something that is in our past for many of us of a right. certain age. But people who had more years of formal education have a lower risk of developing dementia. Uh, do you understand why that is? Yeah. So it's, again, the idea that through your education, you are building more synapses, a richer neural network. And also, it sets you up for a lifetime of continued education through the kinds of activities you do in your job and in your leisure activities. You, you just have a more cognitively enriched life if you have higher education, typically. For those people who, who don't necessarily have the higher education, though, that doesn't mean they're out of luck, right? They, they can, absolutely. Not, yeah. at, at an advanced age, you can still learn new tricks, I guess, Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. Old dogs can learn new tricks. That's, I actually have a separate line of research about that, but for sure, uh, we can keep learning things. And just the fact that people had lower education 
due to circumstances or what have you, uh, does not mean that they can't catch up through other activities. Another great activity is physical exercise. We mentioned that. We were talking before the show, and and you had mentioned that to me, and I find that very interesting, Mm -hmm. the connection between that. Yeah, so... How does it work? Just like a workout for your body, you know, we tend to think of it as we're getting our heart pumping, which we are doing, and we're building muscle when we exercise or lift weights. But for the brain, too, it gets the heart pumping, the blood pumping through your brain as well, which provides the nutrients needed, and it actually has been shown to increase neurogenesis, or the birth of new neurons in the brain through exercise. Now, does it affect all areas of the brain the same way? Or correct me if I'm wrong, but I read a study that suggested what it helps is the more primal parts of the brain, the the fight or flight type elements of your brain, like the hypothalamus. Is that right? No, it's actually the hippocampus. Oh, is it? uh, Okay. Which is an older part of the brain, but it's the part of the brain that's absolutely critical for memory. Uh, So that's where most of these new neurons are formed, uh, which is fabulous news for trying to counteract memory decline because they're born there, but then they migrate to other areas of the brain and take on new functions. Okay. And, and what else can people do to help with their brain health? Healthy diet. So a diet okay. that's low in saturated fats in particular, that seems to be the big whammy to, to right. poor brain health is a high saturated fat diet. But generally getting lots of antioxidants too through the fruits and vegetables that we eat. And the best way to get that is through whole foods, that is through the foods that we eat in interaction with each other. So we always hear in the media that one week it's blueberries, the next week it's hemp seed or whatever. The flavor of the month. Yes. And none of those work when they're brought into an otherwise healthy diet. You can eat all the blueberries in the world. If your diet otherwise is unhealthy, you're not going to benefit. What about peanut M&Ms? Can I eat all the peanut (laughs) M&Ms? Will that help my brain? No. Probably not. That's saturated fat from the... the, Yeah. See, you're, you're... disappointing. Yeah. What about ice cream? Pizza? No. We could have these things for sure. But they, they, uh, are, but, they aren't helping. But not as, as our staple, not as what we're eating all the time. Okay, so how does this work into the study that you're now conducting at Baycrest? Right, so we're actually running two clinical trials at Baycrest. That These are trials that are really consistent with Baycrest's vision for the last hundred years, which right. is really help older adults live a life of purpose and fulfillment. Right. And these trials are built on this idea of cognitive reserve. They're both for people who are age 60 to 85, who are cognitively healthy, but they're concerned that their cognition is declining. And this is what we call subjective cognitive decline. So th- this is natural, right? This is this happens to everybody, correct? It ha- well, not to everybody, but it happens to a fair number of people okay. where they feel like their cognition is declining and it worries them. But when we give them formal tests of cognition, they're still scoring within the normal range. And the reason why we're interested in this is that people with subjective cognitive decline do have a higher risk of developing dementia. I think most likely that's because our tests are not quite sensitive enough to pick up on the very early subtle changes that the people notice themselves. Uh, They know themselves better than our tests do. Right. And so we want to intervene and help people lead healthier lifestyles. And so we have two trials, as I mentioned. One of them is for people with subjective cognitive decline and two or more cardiovascular risk factors. Now, now why does that impact? Because people who have cardiovascular conditions have a higher rate of developing dementia. Oh, okay. Uh, 
diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, those are all risk factors. Because it affects blood flow or are there other factors? It, it affects the brain just as much as the rest of the body. So people who are diabetic have a diabetic brain and that's not healthy for the brain. Huh. And so it's important to keep these conditions under check, but also to address them through healthier lifestyles as well. Okay. And so people who are in that study will get a six-month exercise and nutrition intervention that's state-of-the-art held up at the Toronto Rehab Center, uh, Rumsey site, or their cardiac rehab. They'll get access to things that people typically have to have a heart attack to get access to, right. and very hands-on nutritional advice um, and help in building good meal planning that they'll do at home. So is it just uh, the advice or are they actually getting a different diet for the purpose of this study? Not a specific diet because nobody likes diets and nobody no. sticks to diets. So it's not True. a diet. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle change in the way that people are eating, moving towards a healthier way of eating, but not a diet, no calorie restriction. The goal is not to get people to lose weight, but to eat, be eating healthier. The idea being that if we can get the nutrients in a healthy state, then the benefits of exercise might even be potentiated, be bigger than just exercise alone. Of course. So that's the first study. Right. The second study is also for people with subjective cognitive decline, but it's building off of different reserve factors. And this is engaging cognitive and social activities. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to be teaching people music or teaching them Spanish or enrolling them in discussion groups about documentaries. And we'll also be teaching them cognitive strategies, memory strategies that they can implement as they learn the music, learn the Spanish, or learn to discuss things with the, the documentary group. So with the, the second cohort that are uh, doing the brain work and, yeah. and, and learning stuff, this goes back to your neuroplasticity uh, discussion earlier, right? Exactly, yeah. Is there a social component to it too? It is. So both of those are done in groups. So both of the studies, people will be in groups of seven to nine people. So they'll be in the same exercise cohorts and nutrition cohorts in the first study, or they'll be in the same music group or Spanish group or documentary group. So they'll get to know each other over the course of many months. I had read somewhere that in terms of aging, it's really important to maintain social contact, right? That aids in brain health. Is that true? Absolutely. That's very important. And it's also, it's not so much how many people you connect with, but the quality of those connections. So it's more important to have a few close friends and confidence than it is to be a social gadfly, but not really connect with anybody. So where are you in terms of these studies? Are they ongoing right now or are you, are you revving up to do them? They're just launching now. So right now is the time to get in because they're just starting. And if somebody wanted to reach out and, and be a part of the study, how would they do that? They can contact Baycrest and we'll make sure that they get pointed our way. They can also Google CCNA Baycrest. We have, we're placing ads in newspapers as well. If they call Baycrest, we'll make sure that they get a hold of me. Well, fantastic. Thank you for coming in today and sharing this information. It's, it's really interesting. Great, thank you. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. In now, time for Pure Beauty. Learn all about holistic skincare and health featuring chemical-free ingredients. Here's naturopathic doctor and co-founder of Pure and Simple Beauty and Wellness Centers, Dr. Kristen Ma. Today, we're going to talk about my favorite after-sun ingredient, fresh aloe vera. Aloe gel is a popular home remedy for mild burns because it helps soothe, hydrate, and encourage skin restoration. Doing so quickly is important because this minimizes skin damage. Your skin continues to damage after sun exposure is over, so try cooling it right away, and aloe cold from the fridge helps this along. As an aside, wait till your skin is no longer hot to the touch before taking a warm bath or hot shower. However, 
Even with anti-inflammatory ingredients, sensitive skin should always test patch any new topical. To do this, apply a tiny amount to a small area of your neck and wait for 24 hours. Beyond burns, aloe vera is also a great scalp treatment. It makes an excellent rinse for dandruff and seborrheic dermatitis. Simply mix a cup of aloe gel with a cup of water and apply this to your scalp. I like using a squeeze bottle so I can direct it right into my roots and not have it absorbed by my hair. Leave this in for a few minutes and then rinse. But what about consuming aloe? Aloe's mucilage can help soothe GI distress and it's also a gentle laxative which can help in constipation. But too much can overdo the laxative effects and aloe can also aggravate IBS or other health conditions. So, always seek guidance from your healthcare practitioner first. However, the good news is that even if you can't drink aloe, usually you can still use it on your skin. So if you're thinking of growing your own aloe vera, there are so many beauty benefits to enjoy. I say start with a small plant this summer. This way you'll always have an after sun solution ready at your fingertips. This has been Pure Beauty with Dr. Kristen Ma. Learn more and ask questions about holistic beauty and their wellness centers through their Facebook page at pureandsimple.ca. This segment should not take the place of medical advice. Always talk to your healthcare provider about personal health concerns. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Ted Snyder, together with his wife, Linda Wolven, are the co-authors of Healthy Herbs, the Family Naturopathic Encyclopedia, and also Sex and Fertility, Natural Solutions. They're also the co-authors of the blog, naturalpathnewsletter.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, sir. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. This episode, we're going to talk about acupuncture in terms of uh, its ability to help with pain relief. Right. Which is something that people don't necessarily understand, and they may 
shy away from. But you're here today to say, look, there's some studies out there showing that it's very effective, right? Yeah, there's a lot of studies out there. Yeah, Jimmy, pain's been a real challenge for modern medicine to address. It's been hard to find safe drugs that, that really ease pain. And by and large, the research on, on things like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and acetaminophens has shown that they're largely ineffective for the really common pains like back pains and osteoarthritis. They also have significant risks to them. People know that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs can cause gastrointestinal bleeding. They've also in the research been associated with um, increased risk of heart attack or stroke and used in, in large doses. Acetaminophens are, are a leading cause of liver disease. They also have some really weird side effects. They dull emotion, for example. Oh, really? Yeah. Both um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and acetaminophen are linked to hearing loss. And strangely, the research has also shown that pregnant women who take acetaminophen can increase the risk of ADHD in their kids. So it's been a challenge for modern medicine. It's really interesting that the answer might come from a really ancient science like acupuncture, which has a number of things in its favor. The first is that it's amazingly safe. You're not putting any kind of thing, drug or herb in your body. It's completely non-invasive. So it's very, very safe. Mm -hmm. The other really cool thing about acupuncture is it's not just treating a symptom like pain relief through a really comprehensive diagnosis through like traditional Chinese medicine. An acupuncturist will treat the root cause of the problem, not just the pain. It'll actually make the cause of the pain or could make the cause of the pain go away. Before we, we, we talk about the assets of, of acupuncture. Yeah. Perhaps for those who don't know, let's sort of just give it a thumbnail description of what okay. it is. So I, I'm a researcher. I'm not a practitioner. Right. But the acupuncture describes the body in terms of energy and instead of in terms of chemicals. And acupuncture is used by a practitioner to free up the flow of what they would call chi or, or blood. And chi would be like the energy or the life force. And by freeing up the flow of that energy and blood, it addresses problems in the body. And not just pain, right? Like in Linda's clinic, she'll see anything from depression, immune problems, fertility problems, menstrual problems. It's a, it's a really broad-ranging holistic medical system that looks at the energy flow in the body. And despite constant criticism that there's no research here, there's a ton of research showing that acupuncture is really effective. Well, let's talk about some of that research. Yeah. What do the studies indicate regarding acupuncture as a pain treatment, for example? Yeah. Okay, so th- so it depends. You know, there's lots of different kinds right. of pain. Right, so we talk about different yeah. kinds of pain. So, you know, my discovery of acupuncture came because I have a history since I was a kid of really, really bad lower back pain. I would get bent right over and really uh, bad. Yeah. And as a kid, I was treated with, you know, really strong anti-inflammatory, antispasmodic drugs. And it still took me like a week to get better, probably because it just got better on its own in that time. When I went for acupuncture for my back and the acupuncturist looked for the root cause, which in my case was low kidney energy, which doesn't mean the same thing in Eastern medicine as West, doesn't mean I had a bad kidney, but low kidney energy, and I went for acupuncture... You know, instead of throwing my back out like three or four times a year now, I throw it out like once every three or four years. And instead of seven days to get better, I take like one or two. So for me, back pain was the exciting thing. And the research shows that yep. acupuncture really helps low back pain. In fact, just recently, a meta-analysis to put nine studies together found that acupuncture helped back pain. But Jamie, what was really cool about the study is that a lot of the people in the study were really difficult to treat because they had not been helped by drugs. And so this was showing that acupuncture would really help in a place that acetaminophens and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs have trouble helping. Well, you know, I suppose nobody wants to take drugs long term, right? I mean, the, there's the implications of all the side effects that come with it. So if there's an opportunity to sort of get off the drugs or, or yeah. if those drugs
drugs aren't proving helpful, why not try something else, yeah. right? Like, what do you have to lose? It, it's safe. The research suggests it's really effective. Um, okay. You know, the other thing that's coming up a lot is people are using, you know, computers and tablets more and more. Right, so they're sitting. And, yeah, and so that's leading to, like, neck and shoulder the problems hunch. and carpal tunnel problems, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so, um, and those are other areas that acupuncture can really help. Putting together, I think it was 27 studies recently, they looked at, at acupuncture and neck pain and found that it helped. And in one study, people who had neck pain for six years, so this is really established neck pain, yep. they gave them standard medical therapy and they added either acupuncture or placebo treatment. Right. And when they added acupuncture treatment to these people with really dug in neck pain, it, it had way better benefits than the placebo alone. Same for shoulder pain, carpal tunnel syndrome, that repeat injury that you got from, from typing. I'm sitting here t- moving my fingers like yeah, you yeah. can see me. Nobody uh, can see you on the radio. <laughs> and a, a, again, a large meta-analysis put together 15 studies found that acupuncture helped with a whole bunch of nerve injuries, including carpal tunnel syndrome. So this ancient practice has really great applications for really modern problems like computer-induced injuries in the neck, back, shoulders, and the carpal tunnel syndrome. Right. So are, are you differentiating between chronic and acute pain here? Like, is there a difference the there, way it helps? I don't know if a practitioner of acupuncture would agree with me, but but I would say according to the research right now, the research for chronic back pain is better. I don't know that that difference is there for things like the, the neck pain, but specifically for back pain, yep. it seems to be more effective for the chronic. Personally, yes. I've had really bad back injuries where acupuncture has given me acute relief, but I would say the research for back pain is better on the chronic. I don't know that that distinction needs to be made for the neck or shoulder pain, although as we right, talked no, about... No, but there's different types of pain, right? Like, so for example, you know, like for me, I get these aches and pains because I'll be exercising, I'll be doing weight training or, yeah. or something like that. And and that's when, you know, sometimes you'll throw something out in your back. That's an acute pain issue as opposed to a chronic pain issue, which is residual and, and, and stays with you all the time for yeah. an extended period. So acupuncture is also effective for acute, but in terms of the back pain and the neck pain research that yeah, I'm no, saying, We're talking on the research side. It, the right. research here was finding more benefit for the chronic pain in terms of pain relief and improving function. What about headaches? So there's different kinds of headaches again, right? right? Yeah. And acupuncture is shown to be effective for a lot of types of headaches. A lot of people get tension headaches. Yep. And a just published review, 2017 review, found that acupuncture was better than placebo for tension headaches. So it works here too. There was one really interesting study where they took people with tension headaches and they gave them either routine medical treatment or acupuncture. And they looked at how many of them had at least a 50% reduction in their headaches. So they called them responders who cut their headaches by right. at least half. And less than 20% of the conventional group achieved that level and slightly and, and almost, I think it was like 48% of the acupuncture. So it's, so it's better than right. conventional treatment for tension type headaches. It's also fared better than drugs and safer than drugs in research on specifically migraine headaches. Right. There's also lots of herbs and nutrients help migraine, but acupuncture has been really effective for migraine, specifically for migraine and tension headaches. That's interesting. There's other kinds too, but the research that's solid seems to be on tension headache and migraine headache. So you mentioned before that there was a study that suggested that in conjunction with other forms of treatment, acupuncture can assist with pain relief. So is that is there a body of studies that are sort of focusing on acupuncture as sort of a complementary type treatment? So there are some. The one I was specifically mentioning was the neck pain study, but right. there are some because the nice thing about acupuncture as opposed to a herb or another drug is that you don't need to worry about um, com- interactions, com- right? Right. So acupuncture is a really safe thing if you're following a conventional mode of treatment, 
Acupuncture is the kind of thing that you can really safely add to that as an adjunct therapy. What else might acupuncture treat? Well, I mean, in terms of pain, there's, there's great research on labor pain. Right. Like okay. if, you're, if you're pregnant and you're, and you're in labor, then having acupuncture has allowed women to take less pain meds, less epidurals, suffer less pain. But it is also used to treat things that, are, as I said at the beginning, they're completely unrelated to pain. It's a comprehensive system. So, right. you know, Linda sees people in her clinic for, from anything from, like I said before, infertility, menstrual problems. It's great for stress, anxiety. It covers all kinds of things. Just to, again, in 2017, yeah. that massive meta-analysis of acupuncture and pain, the researchers of that study concluded overall that they call acupuncture a, a quote, a reasonable option for any type of chronic pain. So pain and tons of other things, way better research than people think, very safe. And again, if you're going to a practitioner who does traditional Chinese medicine like real acupuncture, you're not just relieving the symptoms, you're actually, you know, the goal of holistic medicine, you're getting at the root of the problem. Fantastic. So I, I would mention two things. First of all, anybody who's suffering from chronic pain, uh, before you try acupuncture, obviously speak with whomever it is who's treating you, whether it's a doctor or a naturopath, make sure you're getting medical and treatment advice before you start any new programs, number one. And number two, if our listeners are interested in your research, how do they reach out to you, Ted? The easiest way is through our website, which is the naturalpathnewsletter.com. It's got contact information there. You can always reach us that way. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on the show. We'll have you be back next month. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Kristen Ma and Lisa Marvin, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss detoxing from chemicals, yoga breathing, top tips for gym newbies, and preparing for an empty nest. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.